Welcome to CTO Coffee, the podcast for about humans in tech. And today I'm talking to Stephen Lewis. He's from Oxford and works in London. And in his time as a CTO, he saw um, the company he's been working at like since 2010. Yeah, grow from just a couple of people to lots more. And I think it's more interesting if he tells you more about himself. So please do. Stephen. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Nice to talk to you. So as you said, I have been a CTO since uh, 2010. And I feel like I haven't really earned the job titles until, until relatively recently, because I, I, I started with a really, really small team back in 2010. And uh, gradually, my team's grown to about 30 people within the company, and the company's grown to about 350 people. So I feel like it, it properly counts as a, as a medium-sized company. And it's a tour operator, a travel company. I suppose that detail isn't important for the technical things and the human things we're going to talk about so much. But we, we sell holidays, which is quite kind of a nice thing to do for your job. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here to talk about my, my experiences of, uh, of, of seeing that kind of growth in the company from a very, very small team where I was not really a CTO, still writing software every day, um, to all the things that, all the growing pains that come from, uh, from growing up quite fast. Yeah. When, when you say it like that, do you have like, I mean, that's kind of like a classic question, like what have you learned in all those years? Do you have something like laid out where you say like, okay, these are my top five learnings? I really wish I did. I really wish I had a top five learnings. I feel like I would be, I would, I would be a, a blogger and I would, I would, I would tweet about them all the time and so on. But uh, I think it's far more lots and lots and lots of little things. And it's one of those things where I think sometimes, just like when you're, for example, driving, you get to the point where it's very conscious what you're doing, but you can kind of do it. And then when you get beyond that, some of the decisions you're making, you can't really explain very well to other people why, why you're making them. And I, I, I try not to make that an excuse for, oh, yes, there's loads of bias in everything I do, because that, that's a danger. Um, but I think, to some extent, the things that require a lot of conscious effort to start off with can become like second nature afterwards and then it becomes far harder to express them to other people um and i kind of i find that I, i'm 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 also learning polish that's one of my one of my weird hobbies and i was actually talking to my teacher about this the other day it's not that weird to me <laughs> oh good i'm glad it doesn't sound weird it's, it's, it's a fun hobby though i really like it but i was talking to my teacher about this the other day um that To start off with, you just can't do the thing, whatever the thing happens to be. And then maybe in the case of, of languages, if someone says, you know, what is the uh, genitive plural of this noun? You'd be like, yes, I remember the table. The genitive plural of this noun is, is X. But then you can't use it in conversation at all. Your mind goes blank. You can maybe manage to come up with the word, but you certainly can't, uh, can't put it in the right form for the place in the sentence it's sitting. And then you get kind of beyond the table and you try and use it in conversation and you get it right maybe 50% of the time and then you get a bit further, maybe 80% of the time or whatever. And I kind of feel like that with many things I do at work. There's the, the conscious things where you think, oh, yes, someone, someone's told me that's how I should do that or I've read a book and uh, I, I, I've, I've learned that at least some people in the world do this thing in that way and they say it's good when you do that. Um, but then some of it becomes automatic. can really relate, relate to that. Similar to my question, I always have in mind this one blog post by, and there you have the blogger who has like this top five list of things he learned. I never really know how to pronounce his name. Um, 
And I think I've referred to him in another podcast, so maybe I shouldn't say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, he talked about like um, theories um, he had before he actually started um, his that specific role, um, which he wrote about then afterwards when he left the company again. And ever since then, I always ask myself, okay, what is my current theory about work or about teams or and which I'm trying to prove prove to myself of course and do you have any any of these I mean you told me do you have a theory no I I think I'm uh, I'm one of these people who's kind of almost envious of others who do have a theory I mean (laughs) I I, I think I have maybe maybe some more serious answer to that question is that I I feel like I have a fairly strong set of values around mm-hmm. around work. I do genuinely try all the time to do the right thing by people and to behave in an ethical way, whatever whatever that means in my frame of reference. Um, but I'm actually quite envious of people who can kind of point to a reference and say, oh, yes, I read this thing and that's the way I do it. Because, for example, listening even to other, other episodes of your podcast, I, I hear people say, I'm re- referring to particular texts or so on. And I'm always worried that when I say, oh, yes, I do this thing in this way, someone else will be listening and will be thinking, oh, yes, he's got that from this book. And maybe I did. And I'm not I'm not not referencing in, isn't making it sound like a, an original idea because I'm trying to plagiarize it from the author. It's just that sometimes it's such a, a mishmash of ideas I've got from different places that sometimes I just, just don't remember anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And yeah, that feels very, very familiar, this whole... Maybe maybe even my, my mind is playing tricks on me or my brain is playing tricks on me. And I, is it an original thought that I had or that... I heard from somebody else, or maybe that I read from somewhere, or maybe even on Twitter or whatever. Just something that flew flew by me, like for one second, but it kind of stuck, got stuck in my head. So yeah, I really, I really know what you mean there. Still, with this kind of, or another thing that comes to my mind with this kind of theory, and that's also something that you mentioned when we talked earlier, is this whole people talking or writing about their experiences they had in that team or in that company or with this technology or with that technology this sometimes feels from the outside like it's always like super shiny and polished and yeah once you've seen like things maybe not fail or but maybe maybe not go the way you intended them to go and you probably had your your fair share of these kinds of moments in in your yeah in your lifetime as a cto um and yeah it's it's sometimes happens that you wonder like and here i'm generalizing of course but sometimes you wonder like okay is how did this shiny thing someone is presenting is not go well in the beginning but how many iterations that they have to take had to go through in order to absolutely. arrive at this shiny solution kind of yeah that's absolutely true and I, actually I can, I can relate it a little bit to a, uh, a talk I went to at my my daughter's school a couple of weeks ago um, where they were talking about social media and I kind of think there's, there's a, a nice analogy going on between meetup presentations and conference talks and so on and, and the things going on in, in social media where when you look at your, your, your Facebook feed or wherever you go to find these things, it can sometimes feel like 
you know, you're maybe seeing a very idealized view of what's going on in the outside world. You know, all your friends are going on the best holidays or they have the best jobs or best behaved children or whatever it might be. And then you look at yourself and you see your whole life. You don't just see the bit of your life you choose to make public. Um, and I felt for a very, very long time, to some extent I still feel like this, I felt for a very long time then I went to meetups, I went to conferences, I saw other people talk about their experiences at work, both in terms of technical things, in terms of non-technical things to do with teams, forming teams, how to work with teams and so on. Um, and I had this voice in my head saying, why, why do you have all these problems in your life? And all these people are showing you these marvelous things that are happening in other companies. And I think if if I wanted to try and get through kind of one message in uh, in, in, in this, this podcast, actually, uh, it would be that I'd be very, very sure, no matter who you are, that other people are having the same problems that you're having. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's very difficult to form that network outside your own organization. Not of people talking publicly and saying things that they can say publicly, but of people who will tell you that they have terrible problems with technical debt, or they feel like their hiring process is broken, or they feel like they've done the wrong thing by someone on their team, even though they tried, tried really hard not to, and it ends up terribly and they feel guilty about it. And there's all those things which only come with forming that network of trusted peers, whatever it is you do, whether you're a CTO or any other job, really, um, to find out what, what the outside world is really like, not the view of the outside world through those rose-tinted spectacles that you get from the very public face at meetups and conference talks and blog posts and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and I've, I've found that having those conversations with people has been really important in kind of calibrating my idea of what's what's okay. You know, am I, am, I, am I doing an okay job of this? Yeah, it feels all right because I know that other people have the same problem as I have. Yeah, I totally get that and totally subscribe to the idea and know so much as my... My expectation. Do you have because you say it's like super hard? Do you still have some any kind of like tips or your strategies? Maybe, maybe I know what you said earlier. It's hard to <laughs> externalize this implicit knowledge we have, but still, do you have any kind of strategies for forming that kind of network? For ironically, given it sounded like I was being critical of of kind of the the idealized view you get from conference talks and meetups and so on, I would say that my tip is probably to go to those events and talk to people um, outside the, the you know, go to the hallway track, just chat to people. And I wouldn't expect through doing that, this is another thing where I, I started off doing this, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I can, I can form that kind of trust with someone I meet as a meetup or someone straight away and we'll talk about our deepest problems we have at work. And it, it doesn't work that way, I, in my experience at least. It takes a while to form the kind of, uh, kind of relationship where you feel comfortable talking about the things that are actually going on within your organization, within your team, work, whatever. But my, my tip would be try and do it uh, because without trying to do it, it, it can become a big, you can have a big problem with self-confidence. And I think that's, that's really sad. And I, I do worry about this kind of coming from a, a position of privilege and being able to make those connections and so on, that we would have much less of a problem with people's feeling of self-work, especially in underrepresented groups in technology, if it were not so difficult to see the real view of, you know, is, is my experience okay? Am I doing an okay job and so on? Because I think it, it, it can be a, quite a big problem. I kind of feel silly for always saying yes to, to what you're saying, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe to add something to that, actually, it's, it's not only about, about doing it for yourself, it's also about helping others to do it so i'd like to think that just like 
people have helped make introductions between me and people who do similar jobs in other companies and so on. So I, I hope and I've tried to you know, pay it forward to other people who are new CTOs, new heads of engineering, people in new technology, and sort of trying to trying to form that network of peers outside their own company, trusted peers, where it's okay to talk about these things. And maybe I, I hope that kind of, that will kind of help help some of the people I've introduced feel better about uh, about what they're doing, whether it's whether they're doing a good, a good enough job, whatever that means. And you used a great word earlier, like calibrating your self-image. I don't know if you've used that exact word, but calibrating is an important word there. Do you have any other kind of, again, strategies for calibrating your self-image so that it don't, that you don't fall into the trap of like lessening your own work or not allowing it? I think, I'm not even sure whether this, this counts as a tip, but I... I try to be quite self-aware in terms of in, if, if, just to notice the times when I'm, I'm calibrated wrongly in either direction. So if everything feels terrible, which does happen sometimes, um, I try and remind myself that everything is not terrible. I try and look for some good things. I sometimes try, even try and write these things down. Um, and likewise, if everything's feeling wonderful, I'm like, well, maybe I should be going looking for some things that aren't going well because probably my idea of how things are going is kind of uh, is, is biased a bit by one particular event or maybe something like that. Um, and we, we actually, um, although this is kind of digressing a bit from the work context, one thing that we do in my family, which I really, really like with the, with the children, um, is something called best and worst that we do every day. And we talk about the best things in our day and the worst things in our day. And uh, I hadn't really thought about it when you first uh, asked the question, but maybe that's, that's my tip. You know, even if you write them down just for yourself, even if you don't share with anyone else, like make, make your little lists of, of, of best and worst. And that avoids you going too far off track in, uh, in, in either direction. Yeah, and as with so many other situations in life, writing stuff down is like generally good thing to do. It's funny, we didn't say this earlier, but of course we met at Socrates and I, I, I don't know quite what it was that happened there, but I've been writing a lot more for myself since uh, I was at Socrates. Just, just write, writing, writing longhand, not typing on the computer, writing, writing things out longhand. And uh, I've, uh, I've really liked it. It's, it's been a good practice for me. Um, yeah, that's something that will get edited up later. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> happens every time. It's fine, don't worry. <laughs> um, which is actually quite quite nice to um, to know that you can like. I almost feel like we shouldn't edit this out. You know, we'll present this idealized view of, uh, of the recording of the podcast to everyone else. Yeah, and I think, wow, Stephen and Benjamin talked for all this time yeah. without without fluffing any words, without any pauses in the conversation, without losing their train You're of thought. Really getting me there. <laughs> um, yeah, in, in 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 the same sense, um, maybe to to exactly this is like some things feel feel like failing like I, I feel like I'm, I'm failing right now to to maintain a proper flow of conversation um whatever proper means but that's a different topic and on the other hand it, it maybe isn't failing so um when do, do you have any things in your experience or events or 
typical stuff that happens where you maybe feel this feel like failing um, or letting people down or maybe it doesn't have to be like super big like companies losing millions of um but maybe small things and um which in after a while you look at it and then you say like okay or think to yourself like okay that wasn't actually so bad do you have like typical things in your in your work um where this happens where you have that i think Probably the place where uh, I've noticed that most is, is sometimes thing, things have happened where I kind of feel like, oh, that was a complete disaster. That was a failure, particularly when we talk about not so much technical things, but things to do with people in that team and things to do with management, leadership, uh, interpersonal relations and so on. And I wouldn't claim for a moment that it's always possible, but I've sometimes found it helpful to actually introspect a bit on it and, uh, and then talk to the personal people involved about it as best I can and you know, maybe apologize, say, I tried to do this thing, my intentions were good, but it all ended up terrible and I'm I'm sorry, but I'd like to talk about how it happened and maybe reframe some of it in terms of in terms of learning, you know, what what, what can I learn from this? I recognize it was it was my thing that I did wrong, but um and occasionally again thinking about calibration some of those conversations have, have resulted in me thinking, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I thought. We sometimes got to, it can be very polarized, our feeling about things we do. We can do something and feel like it was absolutely terrible, absolutely amazing. Sometimes it's quite middle of the road. Like maybe you personally feel like you did a very bad thing by someone, but then you talk to them and find out that they genuinely didn't perceive it as so bad. Um, and it's kind of tricky, you know, maybe they're just trying to make you feel better by saying that. But I think actually just, just, just talking to the people concerned about uh, the, the things that have happened and having a culture of doing that so it's not an unusual thing, it's not a big deal, um, can help. Um, and I wish I'd done that more over the years. So I, think, I, think, I, I hope I do it now um when the opportunity arises but i i, I say something i wish i'd done more yeah now. again same same for me i also thought that over time i've gotten better at this and better in the sense of doing it more often and more less consciously just doing it but just recently i had a had an experience where i felt like okay i'm really failing and i felt terrible for like two half days <laughs> and and then Like some someone at work basically said, yeah, just talk to the people where you thought you did them wrong. And then I just did that. And then it, exactly as you said, right now, it turned out that they didn't actually didn't feel bad. It was like, okay, they've really appreciated that, that I basically did what you just also said right now, like explaining my, my thought process and, and then saying, I'm sorry. And I think, I think it, it, it can sometimes be the case that, um, you're too hard on yourself because you don't recognize that your intentions were good originally. And I do believe that in everything I do, I have intentions that feel good to me. And I also believe that I work with people who always have the best intentions. And uh, that's important. I would, I think I would hate to work somewhere where I felt like my colleagues didn't have good intentions, but that allows us all between ourselves to kind of recognize that we are human and we, we'll get things wrong sometimes. Um, and it's not because we were being malicious. It's because we made a mistake. And that's okay because we make mistakes. Another thing you said earlier kind of reminded me of this this practice of doing yeah, debriefs or how to debriefs, post-mortems, whatever you want to call them. 
So taking, yeah, not making assumptions about what people thought or what people did and, and so on. And I think you, you said something along the lines of like when we talked earlier before this episode, that this was also some practice that you were doing at, at your company, at your, in your team. So we uh, for, certainly for um, technical things for outages and so on we uh, we 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 do indeed do do postmortems and it's something we kind of follow the template from the uh, from the SRE book and I found it it's it's worked really well, well for us um one thing i've done kind of privately again in the in the kind of write, writing things down sense is try and apply some it's it's tricky because i can't relate them directly but i apply some of the same techniques to things like i feel have gone wrong uh, that, that have gone wrong in a, in a in a team sense because i think one of the benefits that we've really got with uh, the kind of the, the the way we've started running postmortems for technical things um is you tend to be able to get down more layers than you imagine i remember that feeling when we first did kind of a, a real postmortem that The conclusions we managed to draw at the end of it um, were a lot deeper than I was expecting. I was expecting it to be good, but I, was, I felt like we'd really worked together as a team and kind of got to the bottom of this thing. Um, and although I haven't tried kind of introspecting that kind of like formal sense of like, oh yeah, let's answer these questions about things that have happened within the, within the team, I think the general principle of you know, asking yourself, well, maybe, maybe we change something. Where, where did I get lucky then? You know, was I lucky that someone reacted to something I did in a particular way? Um, or did I, was I particularly unlucky in the way someone reacted? You know, could I have anticipated that thing and so on? And it's, uh, I wouldn't say I've kind of, it sounds terribly um, dispassionate to say, oh yeah, I have a post-mortem template for everything I do within a team. That's not the case. Um, but I think some of the techniques that we use for technical postmortems have actually really helped me think about uh, about the team, the way we relate to each other, the way we work together and so on, in in a way I hadn't really considered before, or not that deeply. Yeah, in interesting. I wonder if anybody has done a conference talk on that <laughs> to, mm, to take yeah. kind of like this postmortem approach from the SRV book or any Etsy or whatever blameless postmortem kind of thing and apply it. Haven't looked in, into it in detail, so I can't really. Yeah, maybe, maybe they have. I think one of the things, I mean, if they haven't, one of the things that would be interesting about it is that I would be very uncomfortable. Well, I, I wouldn't use real life examples yeah. in a conference talk of like course. this. And so, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 someone, someone doing it, you know, maybe, maybe, this, maybe this is a seed of an idea. Maybe we could do it. But you, you'd have to come up with some realistic scenarios and then analyze them. Although, on that note, I actually remember um, at a conference that happened in London, I'm just trying to remember which one it was. I think it was the SPA conference and one of the evening sessions went through a a post-mortem for Jurassic Park. Um, so the film Jurassic Park, we watched some clips and then tried to go through a, uh, a kind of a post-mortem template for what happened in Jurassic Park. It was really funny. I mean, it was kind of a comedy session, but it did have a serious point as well. Um, and I think kind of may, maybe even pick a, pick a film with some more maybe scenes from The Office or something and try and actually kind of have a half serious, half uh, half kind of comedy talk about that might be might be quite a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. and I'm also kind of skeptical of that's really a good idea because... It's, it's kind of easy for tech, or maybe not always easy, but easier, definitely, um, for technical topics to state something more in a dispassionate way. Like, okay, I did this, I kind of like, I don't know, 
push the red button because I assumed it would do X, Y, Z, but in a, in a kind of like between people and with in yeah when it comes to people topics like conflict or whatever then it's not so not so easy always to to state this yeah that's true because I, I i kind of although i think i i, I know i've in the in this conversation so far i've kind of drawn some analogies between technical things and team things and you know as, as people who work in technology it's a very tempting thing to do um i think you're absolutely right that you can kind of take that too far and uh, you know some, sometimes it's, it's it's kind of interesting and sometimes it's kind of take you away the, the kind of the deeper meaning of human connection because you're like oh yeah it's just like deploying your software making this change within the team you're like no it's not just like deploying your software <laughs> um and you, you, you can um, i i think you can absolutely go too far with that yeah yeah which brings us to to another very interesting point or topic is like then when you work with teams it's always harder to for various reasons for for one the one you, that you stated just now and for many other reasons is that you just cannot roll back changes or that you can't always like i mean computer systems are already non-deterministic but people are like super non-deterministic and you can't can't always and super super stateful too it's the state stateful nature of human beings that sometimes makes things hard <laughs> It's funny. I mean, I, I'm going to draw one of those analogies yeah. that, that I, I just said that it was dangerous to draw now in the sense that um, we talk about making it safe to fail, making it easy to roll back our software and so on. And I often look at those conference talks and I think, yes, but what about the state? You know, what about those bugs that cause silent gradual corruption of your data over time? What about those migrations where there's no re no possible revert step, things like that? And and then I look at things that happen with teams. They're, they're, they're very stateful. They can't be rolled back. You can't restore your team from a backup if you don't like what you did yesterday. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. Yeah, that, that's um, that's what makes this this really yeah. hard. And, and at the same time, like the feedback loop is not always clear. I mean, people sometimes give you feedback, but maybe sometimes not if they feel like maybe even hurt or mistreated in a way. And so the feedback loop is like super long or can be super long. So you do it change to a team whatever kind of thing and maybe six months later you get kind of feedback to that and then you realize okay <laughs> this has gone wrong or this has has been able to grow over the last six months so okay thank you now what i do with it so do you have any kind of again strategy sorry for that word for maybe shortening that kind of feedback loop when when working with teams I think it's partly shortening, but it's partly also making sure the feedback's there in the first place, regardless of where of where it comes. Because I think I I would be very uncomfortable, would consider it kind of very very unethical to kind of do an experiment with a team without saying what you were doing. You know, that's 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 just wrong. But if you can frame things when you talk to people about something that's going on, like a restructuring or something like that, or moving someone from one team to another, and so on, if you can frame it in terms of if you're not sure, say I'm not sure whether this is going to work out. These are the outcomes I expect from this thing. These are the things I uh, I'm trying to avoid by doing this. And uh, if you if you have that conversation with the people involved and say, if it turns out that this change is not resulting in those outcomes that I was expecting, and you know you've got good intent, so you'd hope that those outcomes would be outcomes that everyone would consider reasonable, then please tell me. Then that's a way of making of kind of guiding guiding the the fact that it's okay to give that feedback that you've already considered the possibility you might have got this wrong and that you'd really really like someone to tell you if they notice that you've got it wrong so i think maybe to summarize that because I, I i waffled a bit it's about 
being explicit and intentional about changes you're making and talking about expected outcomes as well as just the change. It's like if, if uh, again, I'm going to use one of those technical analogies, I feel really self-conscious about doing this, but if you were to put in a pull request against some of your software and there was nothing there that was any hint at why you were doing it, you know, you look at the change, you might why? I understand the change. I understand the effect it will have, but I don't understand why. That would be really bad. Like we, I think, generally speaking, we'd look at that. And we'd like, I need, need a bit more context there. You know, what, what was the user need that drove this change to the code out or whatever? And I think it's the same with changes that you you make on a team. That if you say I'm going to do X without any rationale, it's kind of people have to guess while you're doing it. And if you say I'm doing this thing because I'm expecting these two other things to happen and these two other things not to happen, then uh, you get much, much higher quality. I, th- I think we kind of identified one of your learnings over time, which is make stuff explicit and be, <laughs> be intentional about it. I can, yeah, I, I think this is really like one of the, I'm, I'm kind of putting this in your mouth, of course, right now, but... No, it's, it's really good. You, you, you can help me write my blog post. <laughs> my, 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 my five, five <laughs> learnings. Happy to do so. Yeah. But yeah, being, being intentional, taking the time to think things through and find out like why, why are you doing this stuff? Because some of the things technical and people related, we, we kind of have like a, like often a gut feeling like, okay, I, I would do this that but um, taking the time to really reflect on okay why am I trying to do that and what is the outcome that I'm trying to achieve and how how can I find out if I'm successful or how can I find out if I failed thinking about these things and relaying them to the team or to the people if affected involved that really helps to yeah to push push through the change or to maybe not push, but to implement it and to help everyone get on, get on board. I think Camille Fournier basically wrote exactly also this in like one of her blog posts. So there we are again at Blangy. Um, when it comes to like reorgs, how to do them, be, be very intentional, be, be open about it and lots of other very good stuff. I I, th- I think though in the, in this in the because you reminded me of uh, uh, of another another blog post actually by um, Lara Hogan which I think was called Why Can't They Just that in the spirit of not presenting the the, the rose tinted view of the world where we can be explicit about everything and so on that there are times I have found there to be many times when I can't be explicit about why something's happening you know there are some reasons why some things just have to be private between a small number of people and we can as people in technology be like oh yeah we can make sure everyone knows everything about everything in the company but sometimes that's just not possible um and i think just to sort of put the 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 other side of that that it's perfectly possible to have uh, the best intentions of being explicit all the time and still find yourself faced with that uncomfortable situation where you can't be and maybe you build up the trust in all the other times and then just occasionally you have to say i'm really sorry i can't tell you why this is happening but i hope you believe that i have good intentions in doing it and i'm asking you just to trust me in 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 doing this and and i didn't say that quite as well as lara hogan did so if anyone's listening Absolutely. to this, the, the the blog post I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called why can't they just is is, is a really good short read about exactly that, uh, that yeah um, and i think the, the way you stated right now is exactly the, the way to handle it in the long term like build trust during the time where you can be explicit and where you can open be open where you can share the why behind changes in order to then be able to 
handle the cases where you can't. That's that's a good strategy, I think. I was wondering, maybe one last kind of thing to ask. You you mentioned the SRE book earlier, and when again when we talked before the episode, you also mentioned that you're like that's the space you're you're in, or that you're very interested in ops related, and of course, like besides being a generalist CTO. I've, I found that, or in, in my perception over the last years, probably now already, people in that community or people interested in that topic, SRE ops and postmortems and all that, and all that it became kind of like more accepted to talk about failure or talk about failing stuff, talk about, yeah, that everything being always great. But at the same time, again, people did that in a way which is like super polished like okay we do this great way or we have this great way of doing our postmortems or i'm i wonder i'm i'm wondering like is do you have an idea how this could be how one could go along and make this less polished like not, not generally of course you cannot change thousands of people around the world but when presenting something, when talking about stuff out in the at a meetup at a conference, how could one talk about failing but without doing it in this super fancy? Yeah, we're cool. Come work with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 a it's a really good point. I think maybe the reason it's, sometimes there are different reasons behind the the polishedness yeah. of the presentations, and I think particularly when I think about conference talks and presentations I've uh, meetup presentations I've seen in that space one of the things I imagine is going on behind the scenes is that companies particularly companies operating in regulated spaces operating with people's personal data and so on it's sometimes a step too far um, to be really really explicit about the things that went wrong the risks that were involved and so on and so even more so than when we talk about, you know, I've, I've migrated my thing from this monolith to microservices. Hey, wasn't that great? And so on. Now you, you can fairly safely talk about bad things that happened along the way because it doesn't look like you were putting your company at risk, putting people's personal data at risk, whatever it, whatever it happened to might be, risking data corruption through a particular kind of outage. And I think that when you think about things in the, in the ops space, it feels like they're more that kind of thing where there's some things there that might be commercially sensitive and that's perhaps why you see the, 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 the more polished view of the world. And I'm not sure whether I have a, a good answer for how to make that seem less polished. It's, it's, it's a really tricky problem. And just like with, with a few of the things we've talked about, like things that happen within your team, things that, that happen with your with your infrastructure where you're like well we really shouldn't have done that you know we're exposing that we, we may have been planning to migrate this thing in this way and hadn't done it yet and as a result exposed ourselves to more risks than we would normally have been happy with and so it's it's hard to talk about those things publicly and i think maybe i'm i'm going to take this full circle back to where we started this this conversation that sometimes within the constraints of what your employment contract allows and all those other things it's it's better to have those conversations privately um, and in my experience, sometimes I've seen one of those really polished presentations about ops things uh, or things in the SRE space or whatever. And I've gone and talked to the person who was presenting afterwards and 
they've been more willing to talk privately than, than, than publicly about, about how things actually happened. Sometimes it's just enough to say, I can't really talk about this, but understand that not everything was great in the way that, you know, I, I was able to give some details in my presentation, but I couldn't talk about all of them. So maybe then my long winded way to an answer is actually that might be sufficient. Just say, you know, I've, I've shown you the good bits of this. There's some bad bits I can't talk about. But if, if this is making you feel bad, polished version I'm showing, just bear in mind that you're probably in the same boat we're in. That's beautiful and makes a lot of sense. So we, we talked for quite a while. It's been fun. <laughs> any, 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 <laughs> any last words you want to share with your audience? Ooh, uh, that's like asking, for my, asking me for my, uh, my, my five tips. I think my last words are that if you think things are terrible... <laughs> they're probably not. They're probably not that bad, and other people are probably in their organisations going through exactly the same things, even if they're not. That's cool. <laughs> How's about that for some last words? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Funny thing is, when you started saying that, based on what you said earlier, I thought you'd say like, okay, when you hear people say something is bad, it's even worse. <laughs> no, but your words were way more beautiful than mine. Yeah, thanks a lot, Stephen. That was a lot of fun. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining me and have a great evening, actually. Thank you. You too. Thank you.